Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello and welcome to the 113th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. Uh, this is a conversation between woodworkers. I'm Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop, and with me is my co-host, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop. How's it going, Diami? Good evening, Sean. I am just delighted to be here on this lucky number episode. Lucky? Is 113 unlucky? I'm going to say 113 is damn lucky. That's what I'm going to say. It's <laughs> damn lucky. It's uh, prime? Like, it probably is. <laughs> I bet it is, yes. I, I tested out of math. I really don't know anymore. <laughs> um so uh oh, let's just dig right in uh what's uh what's been going on in your shop Dami? actually let me let me pose a suggestion of what i think is going on in your oh, shop please do tell because i saw you post a live video mm. which is i don't think something you normally do no i was playing around with a new uh new live video app and i realized that this is you know uh in real inside baseball but i realized that the native phone uh app on my the native camera app on my phone will also post live to YouTube, but it will only default to the default account, which is not the account I want to use. So I can't post from that. So I have a third party app to post to YouTube. Uh, long story short, is I shot a live shop tour yesterday because I haven't done a shop tour in like two months. It's just it's been hectic around here, and not a damn thing has happened in the shop. So there wasn't all that much to record. So I didn't feel all that guilty of not doing it. But what I have managed to do is. Clean the shop, which is delightful. I'm sitting on a stool for the first time in I don't know how many episodes. I'm not sitting oh, on no, those stupid no more shelves shelf anymore. Turned on edge. No, well, <laughs> the shelves turned on edge are by no means done. I've not touched them. <laughs> the only thing I did manage to do is because I had other things that had to get done in the shop. I brought a friend over and we carried them all down into the basement, which is where they're ultimately going to go. But okay, in order to do anything on them, I have to carry them back up out of the basement. Um, but now I can walk in the shop and I had all these non shop things come up. Like I'm sure everyone does. And I had to redo our pantry. I had to finish some siding on the house, both some cedar siding and some fiber cement siding. Um, I'm just finishing now just the tiniest bit of spackling and painting. Um, just homeowner honeydew crap that had to get Mm -hmm. done. So I've got all that basically done. The, um, the pantry is done. The siding is done. The paint spackling will probably be done by Friday. I can do it at night, now or here or there as things dry. Um, so that's moving along well. And I was talking to my wife over the weekend, and I've got a uh, winter break coming up. I'm, my office is closed from Christmas to New Year, so I get the week off. And I was talking about how I can either work on the lights in the kitchen because we, we need to put new lights in the kitchen, or I could work on the... Um, the the entertainment cabinet and there's no way we're doing both I'm not even going to finish one but I said you know look I can make a huge dent on one of the two projects but I can't do both and she went for the uh, the entertainment center so that'll be the one that I'm working on which is going to be fun because I've now got these 20 inch wide by 12 foot long by inch and a half thick shelves that weigh about a thousand pounds each that I'm going to have to work in the shop because it's too friggin' cold out to put them in the driveway. At least most days yep. it has been. Um, yeah, has, has winter finally come to your, your It Literally like three days ago it showed up. Um, it's yeah. been reassuring because it is December, it should be cold, and it finally is. Uh, but I really can't complain because I'm in the shop now, and I've got... It looks like a little radiator, but it's it's electric with oil in it. You know the type of heater I'm talking about? Yep, yeah, I do. Yep. I, I have one of them... It's been cranking on high for about 36 hours now because I had some I had some waterproofing in here that I had to bring up to temperature before I could install it. So that's why I was cranking it on high. So when I leave tonight, I'll turn it down a little bit. But it's – let me just check. It is now – it's about 68 degrees in the shop. And it is currently 36 degrees outside. Yeah, not bad. 
so no, no, the, the shop all, is fine. And all that work you did to insulate your shop is uh, paying off. That's why I'm so uncompromising. When I hear people talk about, oh, you know, I can't use the shop because it's cold or because it's noisy or whatever. Just it's the shop, damn it. That should be your first project. I understand it's not as exciting as building furniture, but the shop should be your first project. Make it a functional space. Make it a four season space that you can just use. Anyway, that's my rant. I don't, so. I don't have a thermostat down here, but it is a balmy 25 degrees outside. Ooh. And I would say it's in the upper 50s in my basement right now. So, But it's a basement. It's never as bad as a garage. Yeah. Yeah, there's an advantage to being below grade. Right, right now, my basement is probably cooler than my garage, but the basement doesn't have right. any heat going in it, and the garage does. So, Yeah. Yeah, those things can throw heat. I mean, they're not like, it's not forced heat, but they'll radiate the hell out of you. Yeah, and what I'll find is that the shop holds heat. I mean, as long as I – I still have a, a rolling garage door, so you leave the door open for more than a minute or so, and all the heat goes right out. But as long as I keep the, the heat out – the door closed, rather, it keeps the heat in. I finally pulled the AC out of the window yesterday or the – yeah, yeah, yesterday, Sunday. Um, so, no, the shop's nice and toasty. Nice. So what have you been up um, to? So oddly enough, I'm somewhat aligned – with what you're doing, both in that not much has been happening, a lot of honeydew stuff, but what is the current honeydew project? Um, so we went yesterday and cut down a Christmas tree, as uh-huh. we normally do, and we always wait till the second week in December to do so, which is awesomely fun. Um, but before that, the room we put it in, we have an old had uh, and a terrible solders press board. Uh, Allen key <laughs> put together uh, tambour door desk. Oh, okay. Like, I was wondering where you were going with all that. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it was a computer desk. Hideous. And we don't sit at it. We have two laptops that don't ever go in that room. They're always out in the living room somewhere. Um, so my wife was just like, let's just clean it out. Let's get rid of it. So she first wanted to donate it to somebody. I said, this is worth nothing to anyone. So let's just <laughs> disassemble it. And it's easy to dis- disassemble. Threw it out, and she goes, "Well, now we got to make something for all this." I went, "Oh!" She first said, "Let's we can buy something." So we looked at Marshalls, and nothing looked good or was appealing to me at all, really. Um, but we've we've agreed on the get cabinets and put a top on them. Kind okay. Of thing. So we went to Home Depot and we got some simple white cabinets, mm-hmm. one drawer and drawers, and one with a door and a drawer. And now the the thing to make is the top, and the the suggestion that she has she saw on some home renovation websites they they took like scraps of two by fours and screwed them all together underneath and then stained them real dark and then threw them on top of cabinets it's walnut it's not walnut (laughs) (laughs) i told her i said i hate taking construction lumber and making it darker than it (laughs) so you can't see the imperfections that's that's the worst to me so I'm now that my little the, the simplest of designs. I need to make a rectangle to go on top of cabinets, mm-hmm. but it is how do I do that? I'm I I don't. It doesn't need to be countertop thick necessarily. Might I uh, offer some suggestions that, from my experience of making long square rectangular things overly complicated? Yes, and let's keep in mind that this thing is only 36 inches wide. It's only not 36 long. inches wide. Yeah, that's not. I mean, a half sheet of plywood would fit and well, have some cut off. Like, what I'm, that's, <laughs> forgetting that's the, the entertainment center that is sitting down in my basement, less, uh-huh. less than half built, um, mm-hmm. I'm staring across the shop at what is going to be the computer desk in my front hall when we finally get around to building it. And okay. it is currently a slab of of timber strand. And it, oh, no it's way. it is. I know it's it's surprising. It's um, <laughs> shocking. It's got to be every bit of three inches thick. I don't know. I made it years ago, and we've not gotten around to the project. And it's about five foot long, and it's got to be thirty inches deep. And it fits in a nook in the house, which is why it's exact. It's whatever size it is. That's the it's the size to fit that nook. Um, right. And glued up on edge. I love again. I love what that top edge looks like. And. Right, it takes dye really well, and you could put a natural wood colored dye on it if you were so inclined, um, mm-hmm. or it takes brightly colored dyes too. Um, that would be certainly something that I would recommend. But that it's frankly for what it is, it's a lot of work. Um, mm. 
if you're looking to just make something that's strong, but you're, am I, let me backtrack for a second. Is your wife committed to that dark color or would she accept no. a light wood in a light color that looks a little bit more I, natural? I, mean, I actually offered, I said, we honestly, we could paint whatever goes on there. Mm. It's not meant to be permanent ish. I mean, I could pick this captain, these cabinets up and walk away with them. I did put them together by the way. Anybody who's ever done cabinets, if you don't have those pony cabinet clamps, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're fantastic. I don't. They bite the mouths of cabinets, like the edges if it's a door or a drawer. Squeeze them together, and then there's a face clamp inside it that pushes the, the face square and then has a pilot hole for a drill bit that swings away. Then you can attach a screw without ever untake, taking the clamps off. Fantastic little mechanism. That is great. It's a shame pony went out of business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had them for 15 years. The last time I really did any cabinet work, but hmm. come in handy. Anyway, so I mean, she's darker, I think, will just contrast well mm, because okay. they are stark white cabinets, paint like mm, melamine okay. faced white cabinets. If do it adds you, on, maybe not melamine. Do you have a uh, spray rig? I don't have a spray rig. Mm, okay. What were you suggesting? I was thinking that this might be an interesting experiment for a dyed um, lacquer. Mm. Yeah, but I do not. My dad might. I could ask. I don't know. I'm 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 leaning between plywood and just band the edges. Call it good. I'll tell you what. That would work. Um, what you might even want to do is this is going to be a desk essentially it's like a standing desk because you can't okay. even roll a chair into it and it's kitchen countertop high okay so, so if you're gonna if you're gonna be at it you're gonna stand at it you could do it right now could, it's gonna house the router it's where my router and my my um a couple other electronics are okay your internet router yeah this is a woodworking podcast yeah <laughs> okay wrong rabbit hole <laughs> um but anyway you, you might want to I would probably go not just with like a thin veneer on the edge, but maybe solid wood blocking. Maybe give it a little lip. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would probably make it maybe maybe an inch, inch and a half thick. Okay, all, all around it, and like f- do this a frame around plywood. May I in miter the corners? I don't know. Yeah, it's like that's when it gets into like what does it look like? Is that a contrast to what's in the middle? And we, really make it look. like You know a frame? what you could do that way? Because I'm thinking I had a I had a desk that was constructed like that in when I was in high school. It was the metal frame. Mm-hmm from an old Tandy computer desk from the early 80s. And okay. we, we made a new top from it. We made the top out of oak veneer plywood, and then we edge-banded it with, like, inch and a half, two-inch wide oak. So the oak, on the on the edge-banding, it hung down quite a bit, and it hid some of the metal framing underneath it. Um, yeah. And that was my desk, and it was finished terribly because I was an impatient teenager, and I didn't sand in between coats and I put like two and a half coats on and said, okay, that's good. And I brought it up to my room and I used it as a desk. But, you know, is it, is the kind of thing where, because you can get away with one sheet of plywood, you buy a decent sheet of plywood of some nice yes. wood that you like, and then you just buy the matching wood or maybe a contrasting wood and you go around the edge. Yeah. I think if it was contrasting, I wouldn't frame it. I would do the front and the sides and leave the wall side. Okay. Empty. I right, right, right. That makes sense. I didn't see what that, what it looks like. But yeah, I mean that. I don't want it to look like I set a picture frame down, and that's what the surface is. Right, right. You know what you could even you do know, is I could just make it, make it frame. I mean, it doesn't have a backsplash. There's not going to be anything like that in the back. But um, yeah, I I already was talking about that. I was like, we went to Home Depot, got these cabinets. She goes, okay, let's go look at, at plywood. I'm like, ah. <laughs> we need to go to the plywood store to look there's, at plywood. There's my dear. better plywood. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I I was talking a little more about it, and she goes, well, you're taking that time off, and like like you, I take the time off for doing Christmas, okay. New Year, and she goes, um, I'm sure you'd like to go to Kencraft during that time. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would. That's our local lumber supplier. Okay. Um, Ye- I don't right know. Next, it's actually funny. Like they've got they've got lumber, and so that's that's another thing toying in my mind is they sell like reclaimed um, barn planks, and so if I can, that's that's a possibility that I would just get some old looking planks, join them smooth, but just I mean just kind of 
attach those and make it look like a like a floor up there. Oh, Almost. you know, okay, a couple things, a couple things. Um, to get back to the framer on the outside, you mm-hmm. may even want to make the frame out of like poplar and paint it to match the wall and then leave the nope. plywood panel, whatever you know, quality yeah. plywood you get, and just put a clear finish on that. Though I think right. that matching the height of the painted edge stock with the fit clear finished it it might be a little tricky to get them to line up properly but yeah. i think that might be interesting aesthetically but then to to get to what you were just talking about with the with the barn wood once you mill it flat will you know it's barn wood yeah that that you talking yeah, about skip planing it or like truly milling it mm, hadn't thought that far Okay, <laughs> I haven't actually seen what's available to know what I'm working with. Okay, I could be swayed if it's going to have some coloring or something that would that would look decent because I don't mind the rustic look. Okay, um, necessarily, but um, some uh, you know, again, like this is smaller than a half sheet of plywood. So some walnut veneered plywood, mm-hmm. if it's good, mm-hmm. which I can get, mm-hmm. might look good or cherry maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe the room is like a off green color as far as the well, walls. I mean, walls can be painted, but I mean, we yeah. She had mentioned like a gray color, and I'm uh, I don't know. You could um, you talked about having it look like flooring. You could always just buy flooring. That's true. It's absolutely true. I have some I could, in my I basement. Could, like, do simple a simple plywood, even like half inch, and do a laminate flooring, and then just frame that. And exactly, or you could do real hardwood flooring, um, or real hardwood flooring. Yeah, in my, in, I was just saying in the basement, I have, I have some leftover. It's the old house. Even we put what to flooring people is called Brazilian cherry, and honestly, it's <laughs> it's not cherry. I have no idea what it is. It looks clo- it looks more like mahogany than it does cherry, but I really have no idea what it, what tree it is. Um, Shannon might know, but, uh, it's this wonderful, rich, dark wood. And I still have like two or three pieces of it. And I've, I've moved, I took them with me when I moved. It's just such nice wood. Um, you know, if you bought like a bundle of that, you'd probably have enough to do the surface and you'd have, you'd have a little bit of surfacing to do and some sanding to, to get it to be a nice smooth finish. But you nail that to a plywood substrate and put an edge around it. I think that would look pretty cool and be relatively cost effective to have this nice finish. Yeah, I I would think so. I, yeah, um, I don't mind that at all. It it's it, it just came up yesterday, so it's only my thoughts at this point. But. Well, if you need, I can point you towards. There's a really good hardwood floor distributor about 20 minutes from my house. Uh, oh, you want you want to come out here? I'll put you up for the night so you can buy your one piece of one you know one bundle of flooring. One bundle, yeah, that seems affordable. <laughs> Airfare and all. Well, I would think you want to drive because you don't want to. You, you, the the wood, the floorings are not going to fit in your carry on. Mm. And the mountains in southern New York on the way to you is there's no mountains in southern New York. It's the southern tier, my friend. It's flat. Oh well, I I've only been skiing in Ellicottsville once. There are and no I don't mean to break it to you, but to drive to me, you're driving through Pennsylvania. You're not going through upstate New York. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. That's my terrible geography. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that's I mean it's there's there's happenings, happenings, happenings. But well, good. It's we'll nice run. to hear that you're finally going to make something out of wood besides you know a door frame. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I will admit hey. my siding and and pantry projects have not been what I'd like to be making, but at least they're mostly wood. Yeah, yeah. And I used a hand plane on my siding. Look at you. I know. That's actually why that, I bought that, that hand plane. I bought my my block plane so I could do cedar siding. That's awesome. I, I used my little baby block plane the other day, and I can't remember why. <laughs> I've got a little one. It's like three inches long. It's fantastic. It's perfect for that kind of stuff, where you're yeah. just trimming those those shingles. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And if I'm so, really in the zone, I'll, I'll, I'll plane every single one, or I'll be in a rush, and I, I'll plane like every 20th one just because it fits terribly. But it depends on how the mood strikes me as I'm siding. Yeah, you know, the first time I saw that, and not like it's not like that unique, but I think it was... Norm making his gazebo, and he he did a cedar shingle roof on that. Oh, okay. He brought the corners together because mm-hmm. it was like an octagon or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. You have to. I have uh, um, I have a bay window in the front of the house, and mm-hmm. underneath it, like it, the three faces all come back at like a forty-five degree angle, so they're all beveled together. 
Right. Um, and, you know, not to toot my own horn, but it, it still looks fantastic <laughs> six years later. And it's because they're all, they're all beveled into each other. And that's where the, the plane, you can't do that without a plane. Like, you need to just specifically fit every single one. Yeah, just finesse them uh, into each other. Yeah, and what a, a little hint I'll tell people, if you're doing roofing, you overlap them alternatingly because watertight is more important than aesthetics. But if you're doing siding, you do a normal corner at a cedar, you use a corner board, we take away your carpenter rights, you're not allowed to. You weave a corner because you're a professional. Um, but when you weave a corner, it's supposed to be woven. Every other one overlaps you know, as you alternate up. But when you're doing underneath a bay window, you don't weave. And the reason why is because you will only ever look at it from one perspective and you want them to overlap from the perspective you're looking at. So the shingles on the flat of the house go on first, then the shingles on the 45s on the corners go on, then the shingles on the front section, so that as you look at it from the front, each one overlaps the other one, and you never see the, the joints, which are going to open up a little bit. I mean, it's, it's cedar siding. It's going to move. But if you lap it that way, it always looks really nice. And because it's underneath a bay window, as long as it's felted properly, the watertight integrity is not terribly important in that application Mm -hmm. and my dad always yells at me because i didn't weave the corners but it's like but it looks nice and i'm Mm -hmm. the first one to say yes you should weave a corner but in that particular case when it's tucked underneath the window at a back angle i don't see the practicality of weaving it when you're only going to ever look at it from one angle there you go yeah so that's my cedar siding lesson for the episode i hope everyone enjoys that when we get to the next episode i'm going to talk about varying exposure width to match the adjoining siding wonderful but we we had a topic that was not siding and desk installation right correct and it was one you brought up and i i like it um so the topic of the day is tool repair yes um you know, when is it necessary? How far do you take it? What do you do? And uh, you brought it up, but let me let me start it off. No, please by, do. And I've mentioned this before. When we, um, well, I'm still waiting on that festival sander, right? Yeah, so as I am I. You, you were telling me it's probably like January. I yeah, it was next year, and I stopped caring at that point. It'll come. <laughs> It'll come. But as part of that, and actually, it, it came into my head yesterday as I'm t- thinking about this desk. I my Bosch. Orbital uh, random orbital sander is my current thing. I've got a sheet sander, I've got a belt sander, but that's my my actual sander, and it's in terrible shape. The platen on it is chewed up; it wobbles badly. It's 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 not a good. It's not going to sand well at all. Um, and I need to repair it. And it's something I I haven't actually looked. I I'm guessing I can repair that thing for less than fifty dollars. Oh, I would think so. Now, let me stop you for a second. Um, because it's really just on. Un- screwing that bottom and putting a new one on. I yeah, think. I was going to say, I absolutely understand how the platen wears out. But other than that, the sander is in good condition. Is that is that the case? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... It's I, never been banged, dropped, or actually used all that often. I don't, but my wife used it once and destroyed it. I don't know that I would even call that repair. Like, to me, that's maintenance. Like, that's... That okay. platen is a consumable item. You, the more sanding you do, the quicker it goes. Like, okay. I would expect I, I, to replace that platen. That's almost... Now, you're going to replace that more often than the brushes, but it's almost like the brushes on a on a on a motor rather than, um, rather than something that is that's truly broken. But no, I would agree in that particular case. I would my first check would be Amazon, but you can absolutely buy a replacement platen. Though you might you may have to go to a Bosch dealer and like buy the replacement part because I don't know if they technically sell the platen as an item. Right, I've got to write the model number down and and see what's available for it. Yeah, for sure. But no, um, I, I would agree with that. Now that you know, to to reframe the thinking a little bit, that is more of a maintenance than a repair. Now, I've I've repaired old tools, old hand tools. Those are easy to repair. Well, if, and that's the thing is, to. I would not characterize them as easy to repair. What the way I would characterize hand tools is that they are. They're repairable by a woodworker with a relatively modest metalworking ability. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Which is, you know, okay. uh, power tools are are radically different. So I'm approaching this from a power tool standpoint because I, with the exception of one hand plane that I've kind of restored and found it to be way too much work and haven't finished restoring it, 
um, the 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 sole was nowhere near flat, and it is approaching flat right now, but it's still not there, and that's as far as I've taken that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so okay, I know that there are lots of hand tool woodworkers who appreciate. Let's typically, I think it's called restoring rather than repairing, but we're really sure. talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a lot of hand tools that you have repaired or restored? I've yes, and I've not had to do metalwork repair. I I don't get into that kind of stuff. I've got some well, I've got this old chisel uh that I mentioned off the air earlier. Um I I got it free from in a group of tools. I got a box of stuff from my neighbor's, you know, deceased father. And um and it it could be rehabbed and turned into a usable tool. I don't have the need for it right now, so I'm not even worried about repairing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'm definitely like, like the first few hand planes I got. They totally got to tear down, tune up, clean up, and and that is essentially repairing it. It wasn't cracked. I wouldn't have bought it if it was cracked. No, that's no. really is the major flaw in those things. But like there was a bend in the one part that had to be kind of filed down. And, and I mean, it, it is slight metal adjusting, but it's not, um, not stark repair, not, you know, Jimmy DeResta welding the end of the slick back on. Uh, and I don't know yeah. if you saw that, he just did that recently. And it, you know, it's a two and a half inch wide giant chisel that somebody almost not quite snapped the end off. <laughs> he snapped it off, welded it back on and then, cleaned it up and it's usable again right right sure that yeah okay and you know if if for for a lot of the guys out there who are crossing over into metal if you've got a, a welder i think that's a task i would probably try to take on um i would but i i find that like see that that to me while it's a skill i don't have i've never learned to weld i've never even tried to weld um welding strikes me as less daunting than tuning up a hand plane <laughs> Because the precision of that, I don't know, like, it doesn't strike me as it needs to be terribly precise. It needs to be strong. It needs to be relatively true. I understand that. But the precision comes in sharpening the blade at the end of that, which is not really part of the repair. Um, Whereas when you're working on a plane, every single part needs to be precise within reason so that it all fits together and it works. It's not as though just the blade needs to be set properly. Right. Right. It's not. I mean, it's not just metal planes. I've got. I've got an old coffin smoother that is a wooden plane that, honestly, it needs to have a bit of repair done. And the old way of repairing those is to recess a bit of wood out of the bottom of it, right in front of the mouth, and put in a new piece. Yeah. Or you know, I don't know if you do it on a coffin, but you could also you could laminate a new piece to the bottom of the sole and make an entirely yeah. new sole. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would work the same. It has a fairly tight mouth as it is, so that would almost be problematic to do that. But we'll see. You'd get into plane adjusting, and no matter how you do it, right? Mouth adjusting. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, it's um, I'm trying to think because I'm I'm not a hundred percent hand tools. I do power tools. I'm trying to think if I've ever ever like seriously repaired well, one. Let me let me ask you. So you got a drill. Yeah, and let's say it's an average run-of-the-mill drill that you bought at a home center and you've used for five, six years, and it stops. Do you get a fix? Do you replace it? Um, I'm trying to think if I've gotten rid of a drill. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a massive collection of them, so I guess I, I wash 18-volt something this is easily 10 years old um it's the one when they came out with their brute i think it is a brute where they used to drop their their tools off of ladders just to Mm -hmm. show that they'd still work even if after they bounced on the ground it was a selling point of some sort no i I, Um, i'm a roofer i understand that selling point well yeah okay okay so do you remember when they were doing that i mean they were taking their truck tours around and they were launching the high places it was i believe they're still like dropping them in some of their videos and stuff but 
I yeah, if they do, I mean, it's... That. Yeah, so anyway, so that thing is still kicking. I've got new batteries for it. Um, but no, I know... Okay, so the one time I did... I bought a... At a home center, I bought mm-hmm. a DeWalt uh, cordless drill for a purpose. I was going to work on some sets somewhere. Um, and in the first day of use, it stripped out something internally you like you the, blew out the clutch in it right the the, the transmission basically i think so yeah because it was just i took it back i never thought about buying it you know i buy another one i just got my money back and i moved on and i didn't need that tool again hmm. until okay. i got something else later on um there was no way in hell i was repairing that because it was a day old yeah yeah um, no at that at that at, at that uh that age i would but certainly... that really is it's it's rare um and it helps that i don't i guess i don't use them a ton um, See, I've had that scenario. Like I come, no go ahead. on. I was gonna say I I I I come. My dad is a an electrician first off, and then just like the handyman extraordinaire. So if there is a motor that goes out, he crawls inside it and rewires it. Mm. And so I've seen that happen. Could um, you send him my way? And he still has. Yeah, right. He he still has my grandfather's, his dad's, uh, little benchtop drill press and stuff, and I know that's been redone multiple times. Um, it if you're savvy, I totally get it. If you're not, I think there is a there's a pretty defined line where it. I mean, I guess it all depends. How much? How much was it? How much is it worth to you? Yeah, as, how bad do you need it right now? I think that determines it. If it is a tool that you use on a daily basis, you're probably going to buy a new one rather than take the time to repair it. No, I'll say that's absolutely true. Like at work, when we have a tool die, if it's holding up production, it doesn't matter what it costs. You buy a new one. You, you might you probably take the old one and try to get it fixed, but you buy the new one because production is more expensive than the tool, no matter what. Um, yeah. But it, I can't tell you how many times we, when I was building, we we tore down pass load nailers. Mm. I mean, gutted them and repacked them, you know. But you could get those kits, and so our supplier was. I mean, we had kits hanging in our tool trailer, just waiting for that opportunity for one to start misfiring. And you look and go, oh yeah, all the seals are bad. Rip it open, and you could do it in about a half hour. I'm surprised totally you use them on a, on a production job. A pneumatic nailer. Like no, a palisode, like like not a not a compressor run gun. No, think. yeah, no, they made they made compressor guns too. Oh, okay, that's what I'm speaking of. Oh, okay, I'm yeah. sorry, but we we used impacts too, or um, they're uh, what the hell were they? The gas powered ones. Yeah, the gas powered ones. Those were just handy when you were crawling around. Right. No, no, you know, I can appreciate having one or two, but if you're just banging out production, I would think that the the compressor. No, was no, the way to go. No, we we were building custom, so it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, you lines were run when you could, but if you were walking walls, setting rafters, it's much easier to just have a, a portable gun, not dangling a cord the whole time or a, or a hose. Mm, I've heard Ryobi but says anyway. the same thing about Brad guns. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, inside baseball. As you, as you're talking, <laughs> I, I'm thinking because yeah. honestly, what what spurred this whole discussion on my end is that I'm staring at this beautiful bandsaw that is not working properly. But before I get yeah. to that, um, to bring it back to your drill uh, uh, situation, I had a it was an old 12 volt Milwaukee drill, and I was drilling through relatively thin steel, but I was drilling through steel with it. And I caught the bit as you do sometimes with steel, and it just went, and it stripped out the clutch, mm-hmm. um, and that was it. Like and the it motor didn't, spun, didn't but break your wrist in the process. No, no, it it, it broke the clutch. My wrist was fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's good. But the motor spun, the bit didn't move. There was no energy being transmitted from one to the other. So in that particular okay. case, yeah, I was probably doing something with it. I shouldn't have drilling through steel, but at the same time. I don't know. It was only like a three-eighths inch bit. It wasn't a terribly big hole. But the the damn thing was over a year old, and I, I tossed it, and I got a new one. Um, so it, it didn't strike me as being something worth fixing because it was, you know, when you're talking about the tool without the battery, it's probably a $90 tool. By the time I get it investigated and fixed, I'm going to spend 70 bucks to get a fix. Like, it just, it, it, 
I wouldn't even bother attempting with it. But you talk about the value of some of these things. Um, we've talked in the past about different brands of power tools and what has and hasn't happened to them. And I've mourned the loss of Porticable as an independent brand because for the longest time they made premier, premier hand tools, a hand, you know, powered hand tools. Um, I'm not such a loyalist that I would say they made the best of everything, but there were many categories where they made the best, both in the kind of stuff we do around a woodworking shop and just in general construction. Um, and for anyone who's a homeowner, I think you should get this at closing is everyone needs to have a, a big half inch right angle drill. Um, it, it's a whole th- drill. Oh, everyone needs a right angle drill. I, I, I can't describe the smile it brings to my face every time I take mine out and I use it. Like it's just, it's this delightful thing. Oh, I mean, they're awesome. I've used them, but I don't think I own one. Oh my gosh. I have three of them. <laughs> well, good. You've got one to spare. <laughs> um, Two. but I'll tell you why I have three is because when Porticable got bought by Black & Decker and then Black & Decker got bought by Stanley and when it goes through all these changes, they basically stopped making anything good that Porticable used to make. With the exception of a handful of routers, they don't make much that's of value anymore. Um, and one of the mm-hmm. things that got killed was the right angle drill. Now, the Porticable right angle drill was a tiger saw, which was a kick-ass sawzall. Back in the day, the tiger saw was a better saw than the sawzall, although that's not true today. Um so I, it, I thought that was just a, a – well, I mean, I remember the tiger saw yeah. and the one that you could you could pivot the head. Ah, that was a little cheesy, the one you could pivot that the head. That was cheesy. But, and that's, yeah, I, thought, I thought that was a gimmick of theirs. Well, the, but the non-head pivoting one was a beast. Like I still have when – I, when I bought my first house, I got a tiger saw as a gift, and I still have that original tiger saw. It's 15-ish years old. And it's not a beast. It's only like eleven amps. Like I know that all the all the to get a decent sawzall these days, you got to go up to fifteen amps. It's only about eleven the one I have, and they would change You're the. Let me check what mine is. They keep ch- talking. They change the shape of it every once in a while. Mine is particularly square and not all that comfortable, but it just cuts through absolutely anything. It's a, it's a beast of a saw. Um, so the port cable right angle drills were essentially a tiger saw with a right-angle drill attachment at the end. They're these monstrous drills, but they have more torque than torque than anything. And with the right-angle attachment, they fit between studs, and you can drill massive holes. You can drill three, four, five-inch holes. I've used... And that's... What's that? That's when I most often saw them was at, um, you know, with the Sparkies we're using them. Yeah. Well, I, I've used conduits. it... I've used, like, six-inch hole saw bits on them to drill through oh, studs for dryer vents. Like, they, they'll, they'll do anything. Um, so they're wonderful, wonderful saws. So I, the three I have, I bought them all used because they don't make them anymore. And the very first one I bought when I had it for about a month and I was using it and I stripped out the right angle gearing. Oh, wow. Um, well, it was, you know, it's a used tool. It, it happens. It was, <laughs> yeah, the motor it was running solid and it, the, the gearing was worn. So. I trust the toolmonger, I'll call him, that I buy my used power tools from. And right. he's been a Delta dealer since the 60s. And he reached out to Delta, and it took about three months to fix the saw, uh, fix the drill, rather. Because Dang. at least based on the reports that he got, I got the last replacement right angle gearing set that was on the warehouse floor at port cable because oh, with amazing. the buyout they were not making replacement parts anymore and, and you, you you know one of the greatest things you could always buy was a you know a vintage unisaw from delta delta port cable being the same company and these days you can't buy parts for the old vintage deltas anymore because with all the ownership changes they've stopped making parts that used to just make forever um so you know i paid more for that gearing than i did for the original drill but because of what it is and how useful a tool it is, how specialized a tool it is, how valuable a tool it is, I was willing to put the money into it. So when you're talking about those hand tools, and I think this extends true for the equipment, a lot of it becomes about price, I think, as we're discussing this. Right. The the I think it's not as easy as price, although I think price comes in quick. If, if the repair exceeds 
or I might even argue is more than a half of the purchase price, the original purchase price, depending, and then then time over, yeah, whatever that that gets complicated. Except in your case, when it is a very useful, fairly unique, hard to find, really yeah. isn't another option to replace it with. Yeah, I think I, it's a couple things. It, it it's definitely the I think the price is the primary factor, um, but then I think that the the utility of the tool and all those other factors do add in. And perhaps it's not fair to use the right angle drill as an example because it is such an odd, valuable tool that is so rare to find these days in the used market and of such high value that it's worth dumping the money in to fix it. Because now with a new gearing, it'll go forever. Like there's there's nothing left on it that can break that I can't easily replace. So um, I was more than willing to dump that money into it. Whereas... The math, the whole equation is a little bit different. As I like, as I look at my bandsaw, the bandsaw was obnoxiously expensive. <laughs> um, so there's no way I'm going to get a new bandsaw because the mo- because there's something wrong with the motor. Um, even at hundreds of dollars, it's worth replacing the motor rather than replace the saw. Especially since I love the way the saw performs. Like I'd be happy with the saw. You know, someday if I win the lottery, I'd get a bigger one. But there, I could see being happy with the saw for the rest of my career. Woodworking, like it's just, it's a fantastic saw, and it's sixteen inches. They don't need to necessarily a bigger one, um, right? And you know, at at hundreds of dollars, it's still worth replacing the motor rather than getting a new saw. But that being said, I don't want to put hundreds of dollars into it. <laughs> um, so at least per. While I toyed with taking the motor off and bringing it to my toolmonger and getting the motor kind of diagnosed electrically and in all likelihood replacing the motor, um, what I believe I'm going to do is during that Christmas break, I'm going to bring an electrician friend of mine over and we're going to spend a couple hours monkeying with it and uh, and see see if we can more better diagnose what it is because it's it's acting all sorts of funny um when i was first using it it just died and shut off and now using it it works okay until it doesn't and it shuts off um so yeah and if i remember correct the last time i heard about it 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 would run but it's not nearly at full power like when it runs or is it if it when it's running is it running okay until it it seems to be running okay right now until it doesn't and without making any smoke yeah no 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 there's never there's never been smoke it just it ran like it ran like it it was i was cutting three quarter inch pine and it was acting like i was cutting you know four inch thick steel yeah Yeah, Um, it was just unbearably slow and burdened um and then it just stopped and on that day and the following day it wouldn't turn on and then I just left it for six weeks, and I turned it on again, and it ran. <laughs> um, so I, I don't. It's beyond me. We've read through the book, and I may have it wired wrong in that the the cord I have is longer than it says it has. But um, hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, that could be something. But... No, it absolutely could. It absolutely could. And if it is, I'll I'll have to wire. The, pro- the the issue I have is that I only have 220 on one side of the shop, so um, I may have to r- wire some new 220 lines around to it. But Is it the long end of your shop or the narrow end of your no, shop? No, I have 220 along the outside wall of the shop okay. on the long Which side. Which is the opposite side. To exactly. So what I actually have is I have a I have a homemade extension cord that I made out of 12-3 cable, uh, 12-3 wiring, like mm-hmm. the wiring you'd put in a wall. And I put a male and a female plug on the end of it, and it plugs into a 220 outlet on the outside of my garage. It runs up to the ceiling, runs across the ceiling, runs down the other wall, and then the bandsaw is just plugged into it like an extension cord. So just this um, up the ceiling, across, and back again. Exactly. It's it's roughly – it's 10 – let's say it's a 20-foot-long extension cord, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's literally made out of the same wiring you'd put in the wall. I'm, I'm sure it's not legal, but it's – it's fine. Um, yeah, I wonder. But, you know, I think what it comes down to is the the plugs, because while the wire is the same, 
I can only presume you lose something by the plugs. I, I, I really don't know. This is, I'm pretty good with 110, 220. I've always had issues with and understanding how the extension cord versus actual wall wiring impacts something. I don't fully appreciate. Yeah. Cause like the, yeah. the book and even, even a light draw over a greater distance can cause problems. Yeah. But the book, you know, there's no issue with running 220, you know, from the panel to the outlet can be, you know, within reason, any distance, but you can only have a cord that's X number of feet long. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't fully appreciate what the difference is. If I'm making the extension cord out of literally the exact same wire that I put in the wall, why can the wire in the wall be, you know, really long and the extension cord not be? I, I can only presume it has something to do with it, the, with the outlets and the, the transmission through the plug. Yeah. So, you know, the answer is just take the wires out of the wall, wire none of them to your extension cord, and run solid, straight wiring. I mean, straight power all the time. I don't and see where the problem is. That's ultimately what I what I may very well do. But <laughs> before I do that, I need to determine whether I have permanently damaged this motor. Uh, there's, yeah, yeah, um, you wonder. Yeah, I know I, there's... I, there's like loaded voltage oh, yeah. tests. I, I, I I'm, I'm out of my realm. I, there are things that can be done on the motor mm-hmm. to test it. And we will be doing those things over Christmas break. As long as I can drag my friend over here. And, and I, I joke about you directly wiring that only because when we moved into this house, the dryer that was left here, <laughs> uh, was directly wired, uh, back to the breaker. I don't know. I understand. I, 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 I am a homeowner too, my friend. <laughs> I, I, one of the few times I've jumped in fear. Was when I plugged that dryer in. Because I mean, to say that it was plugged in, but no, no, that one was. It was when we we added a plug, and then Dad Dad did the wiring. He's like, "Okay, mm-hmm. this direct wire. Let's pull it back. Put a put a two twenty plug on it." Okay, we checked and the, the breaker it was on was good. What we didn't know was that the stove and the dryer were on the same oh. breaker, and it was a thirty amp breaker, still with two two twenty lines running on it. Mm. It was scary. People are stupid. and it threw a spark out out of the the uh, uh, what is it like asphalt cotton mm-hmm. instead of wire nuts they had in the fifties, yep. and it mm-hmm. threw a spark out of it when I plugged a dryer and I went, <laughs> oh hell no! See, I, so then my electrician dad, as I'm looking up at the conduit he ran, ran three dedicated circuits for everything there. It's fantastic. <laughs> I. As I'm as I'm staring at my shop, I think the planer was the first 220 tool I have. Mm-hmm. I put it in. So when I was running the 220 line, I actually when I was pulling the line through the circuit breaker box, I scraped off the um, the jacketing, and one of the lines was grounded to the box. Oh. So the first time I turn it on, and I'm sorry, I'm saying it's the joiner. It was actually the dust collector. Well, I have the th- the three of them are all two twenty, um, and I turn this turn the switch on the dust collector and just heard pop, and well everything went out. So I mm-hmm. I redo it. I re- check everything. I'm thinking it's the wiring in the motor of the dust collector because the dust collector, I, the actual motor I bought used off Craigslist, and it, excuse me, some idiot had tried to wire a two twenty dust collector to one ten. Mm. So I I had to kind of clean up the wiring in the motor, and when I I so I checked it again, it was it was seemed to be okay. I plug it in again, pop, and this time I'm looking and I see a little charring at the bottom of the electrical panel, and I realized what was happening, and I had to redo that wire. So I understand the anxiety and the fright that comes with two twenty not working properly. Yeah understandable so i think i mean i don't know this i don't think this is as as highly debated as some other uh topics but i i wonder where any of our listeners besides my father um (laughs) would stand on this you know when is it too much well i when when do you replace? Is is there a defined? You got to weigh all the things. How easily can it be replaced? How rare is it? How much do I love it? How much do I need it? That kind of stuff. I think they those all need to be weighed, and the answer is going to be different for everyone. So I don't think there's a particular answer. But ultimately, I think when it comes down to the 
the cost of replacement be that a monetary value or a hard to find value or a unique value or just a sentimental value depending on what it might be if the cost to replace is greater than the cost to repair then you replace or then you repair rather you or vice versa so I, mm-hmm. I ultimately i think it's a fairly straightforward calculation but the actual figures that get calculated are going to vary a little bit person to person and the economics of it vary too you know you got to have a $100 tool that's going to cost $45 to fix some people are going to say, you know what, I only want to spend the $45. So other people are going to say, that's yeah, almost half. Let me just spend the 100 and get a brand new one. So some of it comes right. down to you know personal finances also. But ultimately, right. I think it's an economic decision for anybody. And it's just which is the better value, which is the more appropriate thing to do for them. Right. So it, not not a tool, but uh, my vehicle. I, I drive a uh, approaching 11-year-old vehicle mm. um, that you rode in. I have recently uh it actually on the way home from that trip after my brother's wedding um started smelling gas hmm, mm. already done a gas repair a line repair on this where the hell's it coming from don't see any dripping da, da, da. finally it kept on persisting and so i uh, take it to my my guy and uh 900 later uh the whole fuel pump housing was cracked and it was basically splashing gas up on the frame of my car. Oh, right. Which is like, yeah, super. In that case, if you're talking about repair, as even at nearly a thousand dollars, more that cool. It's a daily thing I need to get around yeah. my family, yada, yada, yada Absolutely, yada. absolutely. And that I think, comes back to what that, we were talking that, about it, it's first. the same discussion. You know, it is what's the cost of repair compared to replace compared to yada, yada, yada. And it, it was an easy, easy decision to yeah. not uh, – But the thing about your car is it makes you money because it gets you to work. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Whereas – at least right now, I can't say that any of the tools in my shop are making me money. They're all, you know, forwarding my hobby, and I have plans to potentially make some money out of this garage in the coming year. But unfortunately, some of the tools that I, for the things I want to bring to market, I need to buy more tools. Um, <laughs> and I'm actually trying to take a step back and not just blindly dump money into the hobby, but actually try to try to get some value out of it and to make some money and balance that with things I actually want to make. Um, and the things that I want to make are more experimental in terms of the way I would make them. And I think that initially I need to at least set up a vacuum um, casting assembly, which is anywhere from a few to a lot of hundreds of dollars, depending on how fancy you get. None of which, none of the tools of which I have, mm-hmm. and I could see a way of advancing that with a CNC, which is by no means cheap, and I don't have the money or the space for a CNC right now. Um, but I, I don't know, like those are things that potentially could make me money, so maybe it's worth investing in. And when you talk about repairing something that makes you money, it's much easier to swallow a I just got to bite the bullet and fix this thing when it's it's the means to to an income of some sort rather than just a hobby. Very true. And that, that comes down to the how bad the side of things, you know, if I go right to the back, a drill, I don't need a drill every day. And actually at this point I've acquired four of them that I rotate use of. And really at the hundred dollars for a, pair of impact little 12 volt things that do a lot of work mm-hmm. most things can be done cheaper if one of those died i know i'd buy another one so I'll yeah day and buy it i don't need it again i wouldn't worry about it and it's amazing it, when you when we get back to you know the stuff we do in a wood shop i would argue you could probably get away with just 12 volt cordless tools um mm-hmm. Homeowning yeah. is a little different. You need some bigger things to drill bigger holes, drive bigger screws. But if you're making furniture, 
I I struggle to think why you need more than twelve volts. Yeah, but ju- just just today doing you know my attaching two cabinets together, you know I drill with my the advantage that is not those little tiny things is that I actually have a chuck on my bigger drill. You I don't have a chuck on your twelve volt. No, no, it's the it's a little pull engage quick release. Okay. Right, just dedicated to it. I could put a chuck on it. I don't have actually. A, well, that, I, I just but. a lot of the twelve volts these days are coming now with full chucks. Like I have a three eighths inch chuck on my twelve volt drill. Maybe that that is telling on how long I, I probably got those things three or four years ago. Mm. I don't I don't use them that often. I definitely don't have to replace them that often. They continue to work just fine. Mm. Anyway, good topic. Yeah, I liked it. We can't end an episode though without asking what you're drinking. <laughs> and um, Oops. I can start off because yeah. I won't. You're because you're first in the show notes, Sean. So I think you should go first. Went to the beer store before we recorded tonight. When I bought this one purely because the name was fun. <laughs> Sometimes um, you have to do that. Tom taught me to do that with wine. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Huh. But th- this one uh, is called Sassamanash. Oh! By, by Rivertown Brewing. Um, Sassamanash is apparently a, a Native American word for cranberries. Okay. Is it a lambic? So it's, which I know, I don't know this. No, I mean, it comes in under 5% ABV. Um, yeah, it's it's an ale, Okay, according to their description. So Sassamanash by Rivertown. Try it out. It's Excellent. a cranberry I, beer. I see you've just checked it in. I will uh Yeah, yeah, looking I'll on tap. That. I did. I did, I did that's, a lot, that's a lot of S's in that name. <laughs> that is. It's Sassamanash. Sure. All right. How about you? Well, I'm going to go with. Uh, I, I seem to have a couple breweries that I gravitate towards. I'm going to go with an Allagash. Oh, Allagash. Okay. okay. Yeah, and this is the 2016 Fluxus L, and it is phenomenal. I have not checked it in yet, but it's going to get a rather high score when I do. Um, the Fluxus is brewed every year to commemorate the anniversary of the first beer they sold in '95, and every year is different. So this is the 2016 Fluxus, which was brewed. Um, do, 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 it says last here. week. Uh, I'm sorry for this delightful dead air as I look up when my beer was made. <laughs> um, I want to say it's aged like four years or something. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's it's a Saison Farmhouse Ale brewed by Allagash Brewing, aged in oak barrels with ginger. Mm. Um, I find that Allagash is an outstanding brewery to begin with, and their specialty like one-off ones are just phenomenal. Um, and I was very impressed by this. So I would highly recommend it. Any Allagash you can get is going to be a solid, good beer, but you get one of the special limited release ones. They tend to be very good. If you can get a small batch double, oh, they are phenomenal. But so is this Fluxus. So get the Fluxus. Okay. I'll have to look for that one. Sounds good. So that is, yeah, I think that just about wraps us. Unless I've missed anything. No, I think I think we're I think we're done. Time to time to end this thing, Sean. All right, let's wrap it up. If you're missing us already, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or on Google Play Music. Just search the Modern Woodworkers Association. Uh, once you've subscribed, you you'll be sure to never miss another exciting episode where we get to ramble on about off-topic topics. <laughs> uh, while you're there, uh, leave us a review. Make sure everyone else can see us. Yes, and thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association. If you want to talk more about making desks out of flooring or repairing an old drill, you can uh, you can be sure to visit modern the Modern Woodworkers Association dot com. Let me just go on a tangent there. I apologize. I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, we ran into a little uh, domain renewal issue, and as we record this. Modern Woodworkers Association does not lead where it should. And we're working on remedying that. And by the time this posts, certainly by the time the next episode posts, it should all be resolved. Um, 
But for now and for the future, you can always visit the Modern Woodworkers Association.com. And you can follow the links to the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. Uh, you could like the MWA on Facebook or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. And the best thing you can do is tell a friend because word of mouth goes a long way towards sharing a discussion. All right. And uh, so I am Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. Uh, you can find me at SeanW78 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I'm Sean Wisniewski on Facebook. I am Diami Plotke of uh, penultimatewoodshop.com, though I'll let you all in on a secret. Um, all the penultimate woodshop posts are at the modern woodworkers association.com. And moving forward, that's probably where they'll all appear. Um, running two sites is more than I can handle. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, you can find me posting prolifically at Diami Plotke on the Twitters. And uh, and Facebook and Instagram and all the other places where woodworkers hang out online. So with that, hopefully uh, you have an opinion about what you're going to do with the tool. And maybe we've influenced it. Maybe you've just yelled at us. But take that tool that's working and go back in the shop and make something that's fun. <laughs>